0: Just a third of an inning here
1: tonight. This game is hard. It's going to kick you in the butt.
2: Um, but that doesn't change, you know, how we work, you know. We're not going to give up on that. We're going to keep keep going at it. Um, and, and we'll find a way to push through. Fan drive time. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Text line is open 590-590. We'll get to uh, some of the breaking news of the day later on in the program. We'll go... Uh, to oakdale golf and country club later on talk to adam stanley as uh live golf and the pga tour are shocking everybody today merging and it just so happens that the pga tour is in our fair city today under this poor uh air quality advisory which is yeah pretty nois- uh noticeable it, it 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 feels like you're in a a smoker out there like my kids have been nonstop stop coughing last couple of days so so be careful for sure but yeah as you heard in the clip you heard our next guest uh, talk about Alec Manoa's struggles. Uh, they have been, I mean, they've been many. Never as bad as yesterday, though, as he gets tuned up for seven earned runs, getting just one out. And now there is a real discussion about whether or not he should make his next start over the weekend. Let's talk to Dan Schulman. How's it going, Dan?
0: Uh, it's going well, Ben. Thank you. Uh, I've just walked into the ballpark and the roof is closed right now. So maybe that's because of this uh, air quality advisory that we've got going here. So hopefully it stays like that tonight. But I know bigger topics at hand than that.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big one. Yeah, like the yeah. North America being <laughs> yeah. on fire is like, yeah, it's also yeah. It's also big. But uh, <laughs> let me start with this one. Uh, I don't think you're allowed to blow a, a baseball foul. Should you be allowed to blow it foul?
0: No, of course not. And And I think that was... Uh, had he done that, um, I, I think the umpires would have overruled. I think that was well. I don't know if, if Manoa was doing that uh, jokingly or seriously. I'm not sure, but you can't do that. And, and uh, uh, that that wasn't on my bingo card for your first question of the of the interview. I got to tell you.
2: <laughs> no, I know. That's listen. I, yeah. I try I try to mix it up. Listen, we'll get yeah. to, to the what did we do with Manoa thing. That's coming. Right. But yeah, we ease into it. Um, okay, so what should we do with Manoa? <laughs> because <laughs> that that was not ideal and yes there was some bad luck to it and you know what honestly i think I, I speak for many when i say i expected some bad luck for this guy this year considering you know some of the strand right numbers and and people right. anticipating like an, an era in the in the low 2s that's that's hard to sustain year over year over year not like this though and it wasn't all bad luck uh the, there's guys guessing correctly i get that and a, a, a bunt in the second batter of the game Everything's snowballing i get it but this is we're, we're, we're now dealing with a pretty large sample, Dan. Uh, where are you on Alec Manoa?
0: Until last night, I was still in the mindset of send him back out there and let's see if it gets better. And and part of that, to be honest with you, has been what other options do they have? Like, there are a lot of different angles to this. It's how is he doing uh, in terms of results? How is he doing emotionally slash mentally? And what other options Do they have, Um, and and right now I'm thinking a little bit less about, you know, uh, can he help the Blue Jays win games and a little bit more about Alec Manoa, the person like we've seen a much different post-game interview from Alec Manoa the last couple of times out. I don't know what they're going to do. If they had an off day coming up this week, you know, they could massage this, delay this, adjust this, that sort of thing, but they don't, they don't until Monday. Then they've got two uh, in the following 10 days or so. I think there's a chance that they're going to make some kind of a move um, and maybe just kind of give them a bit of a breather here, you know, somewhere. And and, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's going down to Dunedin and maybe not even going in games right away. Maybe it's just going into the lab, into the, um, you know, the facility they've got down there and working with some people and getting some time to, sort through some things. You know, the issue is we don't know exactly what it is. Like nobody has said he's hurt, right? It's just the velocity's a little bit down and the brake is a little bit worse and the command is significantly different than it was a year ago. But but these are symptoms. What is the cause? And, And that's something we don't know. So before last night, I was still in the camp of, let's see if he can gradually put this back together but now, you know, after last night again, and you're right, there was a little bad luck. And some of the others that didn't look as bad were probably as bad as last night's were in terms of the process. But mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm wondering, I, I think there's a chance. I don't know for sure. I don't know at all. But I'm thinking there's a chance they will make a move. Like, it, assuming that Chris Bassett has to be back on the roster today, which is what John Schneider told us yesterday, mm-hmm. three-day paternity leave. So let's assume that's the rule. And I'm not a hundred percent up on the, on that rule. But if Chris Bassett has got to be on the roster today, somebody has got to be off the roster. Um, it could be Jay Jackson. Obviously he went two and two thirds um, or it could be Alec Manoa. I, I, I really, I really don't know. I, I mean, you know, you pull for the guy, right? I, I think everybody fell in love with him over the last couple of years with the way he competed and, and the kind of teammate that he is and, and all that. and, and, You know, maybe, and I heard Ben Nicholson Smith talking eloquently about it earlier today, this is not a long-term thing, as Ben said, maybe not even a medium-term thing, but what is best for the team right now and what is best for Alec Manoa right now? And I think those are the decisions that have to be made, and I think there were probably conversations deep into the night about it.
2: Yeah, and I don't know if there's something that you can do that would be permanently damaging to Alec Mano. I would like to think if if this guy's going to get out of it, it, it you know he's going to get out of it either way, whatever you decide to do. But it does feel tenuous because you're right. Like these post games are getting that's not like the Alec Mano that we're, we're used to seeing. And I don't know that it's a probably a pretty devastating blow to this guy after two you know two very impressive seasons right out of the gates to be sent down to to the minor leagues um in in the well just the beginning of the the third month of the season that being said like that like if there's more starts like that that's I I don't know more devastating I just like it it, that feels like like high stakes here Dan like am am I overstating it or or is there something that can happen here that like alters the the course of Alec Manoa's you know next 10 years of maybe major league future
0: I mean, we hope that's not the case, obviously. But if they think there's even a sliver of a chance that that's the case, that's another reason maybe to get him away from here, even if it's just um, a short-term thing. I mean, he's made 13 starts this year. Like last year when Jose Barrios had a bad season, let's be honest, 23 of his 32 starts were good. Nine were bad. The bad were really bad. But he'd go out there and have a bad one, then he'd have two good ones. Then he'd have a bad one, then he'd have three good ones. Then he'd have a bad one, you know, that sort of thing at least there were moments with Jose Barrios last year where you could say, okay, I can see it now or, okay, that's progress. And unfortunately for Manoa, that hasn't been the case. Like I know there have been two, seven seven-inning scoreless starts off the top of my head. Yep. And I know there have been one or two others where you said, okay, that's, that's a step in the right direction, but the vast majority of them have not been that way. And, um, you know, especially recently. Right. and, and you know, one start, it's five walks or seven walks. One start, it's getting hit very hard. One start, it's maybe a combination of the two. And, and again, like, I'm the last guy in the world to be rooting against this guy. I, I really like this guy. And and everybody should, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and um, he, again, he's been a great competitor and a great teammate and a great story and a great supporter of the city and the country and the fan base and, and everything. He checks every box, right? So um, it, it's a mystifying thing, and it is – Uh, you can't sugarcoat it that much anymore. It's, it's troubling. And, um, I, 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 again, the conversation has to be had on a number of levels. What is best for the team right now and what is best for Alec Manoa? Um, I'm curious when the Buffalo Bisons take the field tonight or when their game notes come out, if out Francis will be the starting pitcher for the Bisons tonight, he started last Tuesday, I believe. Um, And there are no Monday games in the minors. So, like, he is more than available to be starting tonight. Uh, But if he starts tonight, he wouldn't be on regular rest for a Saturday start. You know, they could get him out of there early tonight, have him pitch three innings, something like that. Who knows? But, you know, that's one piece of the puzzle. And obviously, we we will be in John Schneider's office in 52 minutes at 4 o'clock. That's Mm -hmm. when he meets with the media. And the first, and I'd imagine the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth questions will all be about, Alec Manila, so you know you'll get more information long before you're off the air. so yeah. I, I don't want to I don't want to speculate too much, but I, I think it's a I think it's a possibility and and if if they do decide to make some sort of a a move with him, I don't think there's a time frame on it. I don't think you say whether it's a week or two or a month or two or anything like that. I think you have to kind of dig deep on this and figure out what the root of the issue is and and try to solve it from there and and again if he if this isn't impacting him emotionally and in terms of his confidence he wouldn't be human we're all human and and it's understandable why the last couple of post-game interviews he's had have been the way they've been
2: 100 um so the the people want to compare this because of the the incredible outcome that that roy halliday had to the roy halliday situation right like 20 some odd years ago but Alec Manoa is a much more established major leaguer than Roy Halladay was when he had that that horrific year 2000 and then sent down all the way down to A ball in 2001. Totally re like rejiggered his entire approach, his his delivery, made himself a little bit more deceptive. You were there, Dan. Like, can you compare the the two situations? Because a lot of tweets at me, right? And I'm sure yeah. you're seeing the same things. Well, all you have to do is just bust him down to a single A. You you you, re, you you break them down and you build them back up and then he becomes a hall of famer.
0: <laughs> uh, I'll make it short and sweet. Um, you won't ever hear me connecting the two of them. They're two different guys in two different eras, and maybe their issues are totally different. And I'm certainly not an expert on what Halliday's issues were, and I'm certainly not an expert on what Manoa's issues are. They're two different human beings. I don't. I don't. I, I I don't think there's any line you can connect between it worked for this guy. So it'll work for that guy or had the case been different. It didn't work for this guy. So it won't work for that guy. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. So um, I understand other people may feel differently, but like you said, like Roy Halladay came back with a different arm angle and a different pitch mix and things like that. I don't think that's what they would focus on. If Alec Manoa were to go to Buffalo or Dunedin, or wherever. I don't think that's the issue. And again, I don't want to speculate what the issues are, but I don't think he's coming back as a guy with a three quarter arm angle and, and, you know, with a different pitch mix. That's not what we're talking about here. So I don't really, I don't see a connection between the two.
2: Uh, Okay. So Bowden Francis, you mentioned it is a, is a potential uh, replacement in the rotation. You could also take one of your current multi-inning relievers, piece them together and and do some sort of opener thing. Um, have, Have Nate Pearson, and 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 Trevor Richards, I know he had a rough outing yesterday, and you know what, Pearson's last outing was also rough uh, in Queens. But are those guys now too important in in leverage opportunities that you can't take them out and 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 you know put them together and and cobble yeah. together four or five innings in a start?
0: I think it's a two-part answer. One is I do think they are important. They have gone from being like Richards was probably eighth of eight at the beginning of the bullpen at the beginning of the season, and Pearson was ninth, right, because he he didn't make the team. And now they're whatever, fourth and fifth or fifth and sixth, the fourth and sixth, whatever you want to say. They're obviously uh, more important. But the other issue to me is, okay, so you say uh, Saturday uh, you're going to go Pearson for two and Richards as far as he can go and then whatever you're going to do. Well, what if you say Kikuchi on Friday night goes two and a third? Um, You know, then you can't do it. Uh, And and not the first thing I would do, but I think the second thing I would do as soon as you get to an off day or the off days that are coming up is whoever's in that Manoa spot, whether it's Manoa or somebody else, I would split that from Kikuchi. I would separate those two spots. So I I think having them back-to-back is too risky for the bullpen. You need too many innings on consecutive days. And it's awesome that you have Kevin Gozman next and you can pretty much count on him for seven. But if you've got two spots in your rotation that are consistently not delivering enough innings, I think it's detrimental to the cause to have them back to back. So, um, I, I mean, if Manoa does go again to Buffalo or Dunedin or whatever, somebody's coming up. Um, now, could it be a Thomas Hatch who you can get two innings out of her? Trent Thornton who you can get, to, maybe, maybe it is, but Um, But again, I think there's a lot of risk there given that you say Kikuchi is not a lock to be a six or seven inning guy every time out.
2: Yeah, and it's not a surprise that the Blue Jays need a six starter at this point in the season. It's actually a miracle they haven't needed one until this point. And if they need one again, like uh, I'm putting the cart before the horse a little bit here. We'll, we'll, as you say, uh, wait until around four o'clock to to get uh, some more information on on the Blue Jays plans with Alec Manoa. And, And Mitch White was supposed to be part of that. What what do you make of this determination that he is no longer viewed as a starter, that he's a bulk guy? Is that because of the difficulties getting back up to full health? Is it some of the performances they've seen in, in, in the minor league rehab starts? Like what, what what do you take from, from that bit of information?
0: I think the answer is yes to both. I mean, certainly, (laughs) certainly the results, you know, and you root for Mitch White, but certainly the results in Buffalo have not been close to what you would need to put him into the major league rotation. Right. So um, which is unfortunate because they had some high hopes for him when they got him last year, and they gave up a pretty good prospect to get him. So, uh, but I think the fact that you know they have said there was a bit of fatigue or soreness or setback, whatever word you want to do, you want to use, and the results have not been good, he's not the answer right now. And again, in six weeks, could it be? Maybe, who knows? But but right now, um, you know, he's not the answer. Like later in the well, you hope Alec Mano is the answer, right? But but if he is not. Um, is it, I don't think it's Mitch White right now. It could be Bowden-Francis. It's not Hyunjin Ryu yet, obviously. It's clearly not Ricky Tiedemann, who's been on the shelf for a while. Um, it's, it's a situation because Zach Thompson has not pitched well, and Drew Hutchison did not pitch well, and then opted out when the Blue Jays didn't call him up. And Casey Lawrence, is, who had a great year last year at AAA, is not having a good year, and they're paper thin. Uh, they are paper thin. They they got a lot of relief options. You know, I, I feel pretty good about their relief options and the depth there, but they are paper thin in terms of starting pitching options. And the two hardest things to do in baseball are to trade for starting pitching and to make a trade like a long time before the dra- trade deadline. And uh, I, I don't see how the, if the blue Jays are going to try to make a trade for a starting pitcher now, they're going to be, uh, you know, the other 29 general managers are going to say to Ross Atkins, okay, open up the cupboard and show me what you got. <laughs> and uh, you know, because they're going to ask for a lot, right? Because they know the blue Jays are coming at them from a tenuous position in this area. So it, it's, it's not ideal. Now I know Houston is the other end of the spectrum, like the yeah. extreme other end of the spectrum, but you look at them with three starters on the shelf and they've got a six man rotation going right now and that guy last night um belak is probably their five currently which means he'd be their eight if everybody was healthy they're the envy of baseball for a reason they win the world series for a reason they're a perennial contender for a reason uh, they have depth after depth after depth and and that's that's what you need because like you said the blue jays have been extremely lucky like you know what would even happen if a Gosman or a Bassett took a comeback or off the knee or whatever, you know, and was out for a few starts, I don't know where they would turn. So they do have to figure this out quickly. And and Bowden Francis may not be the ideal choice, but he might be the best current available choice if they decide to make a move with Manon.
2: Yeah, it doesn't seem good. Uh, It feels a bit like a house of cards when it comes to the rotation. Uh, Luckily, they've gotten some really strong performances out of three of of the five and then. You know, passable out of Yusei Kikuchi. Uh, Got to figure Alec Manoa out. Uh, not sure exactly how they do that. But we will find out, I imagine, uh, later on today. Dan, thanks for this. Uh, enjoy the game tonight.
0: All right. Thank you, man. Talk to you again. All
2: right. See so, you. Yeah, there's Dan Shulman getting ready for game two of four between the Blue Jays and the Houston Astros. Kevin Gossman against Hunter Brown. So I mentioned it. It's not all that often you get an explosive sports news story uh, story completely out of nowhere like we did earlier today PGA Tour and Live Golf coming together. Oh, and the European Tour. DP World Tour, it's called now, but uh, they are merging. As a result, all pending litigation between the bodies has been stopped. They're going to play out the rest of this season, both the Live Tour and the PGA Tour, and then come together for the start of next season. Notably, it's also Canadian Open Week, and the Canadian Open is at Oakdale Golf and Country Club in the city of Toronto, where we find Adam Stanley golf writer who is uh covering this event. How's it going Adam? Well, we we've, we've had a day. Yeah, we have. Uh <laughs> it's been insane. Like I and yeah. you do a great job covering this event. Um preeminent uh Canadian golf writer. What did you think when when yeah. you you know you th- thought you were going to, you know, be researching and getting quotes uh, for for the next great Canadian golf story yeah. and this bombshell gets dropped on your head?
3: yeah it's uh you know it's a tough time uh obviously two years in a row that we've had kind of this sort of thing happen during the week of the rbc canadian open uh but last year was different i mean last year everyone knew that the first live golf event was going to happen the week of the canadian open um you know this week we we rolled in tuesday morning you know had a set of pressers sun was up really good looking day first day on site for a lot of folks uh, and you know, in the in the hour of ten, it was like, whoa! Now wait just a second. So you know, I feel bad for for the organizers, obviously, for the Canadian guys who're teeing it up. You know, there's there's just this news has usurped basically every storyline that we've had to to this point, and, and will kind of hold on for the balance of the week. I mean, obviously. Uh, Rory is going to talk tomorrow, so we'll see, you know, kind of how that goes and how that unfolds. There's going to be a players uh, a players meeting with Commissioner Jay Monahan today at four. The PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, uh, he's here, he's in Toronto, he's on his way here now, so we'll see how that goes. He's speaking to media at 5 p.m., so we'll get hopefully maybe some some more answers. But yeah, just you know, this is this is the third oldest event on the PGA Tour schedule, and for two years in a row, the you know the organizers have kind of got this bombshell dropped on them, and it's and it's been tough. It's tough for sure.
2: Uh, this Canadian Open update is brought to you by TPC Toronto at Osprey Valley. So we've we've heard some of the players speak. You mentioned Rory McIlroy tomorrow, but we heard Adam Hadwin um, eloquently speak on this subject. And yeah. and everybody, I mean, that's part of the that's a big part of the story. Honestly, is that the players are kind of finding out about this at the same time yeah. that we are, so they're kind of reacting in the moment and and don't have really all the information, but, like, what is the, the early sentiment that you're getting from some of these players?
3: Uh, disappointment, I would say, is probably the, probably the biggest word. I mean, you, you take a, a quick scan on Twitter, uh, and we're talking guys from, you know, the, the 100 to 150 kind of rank and file guys, all the way up to, you know, Colin Morikawa, uh, who took to, to social media today, a two-time major winner in, in, in Morikawa, and he was like, you know, great to find out maybe the biggest news uh, in the history of men's professional golf you know, on social media at the same time that everyone else was. And, you know, it, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, golf is, is probably the worst uh, bunch of, of secret keepers in, in professional sports. And, you know, the fact that nobody really knew about this, the fact as well, it sounds like this decision, which is pretty monumental, didn't make it through the, the Players Advisory Council either on the PGA Tour. Um, you know, this, this really did seem to be just, um, you know, the, the PIF, the head of the PIF and, and, and Commissioner Jay Monaghan, uh, you know, kind of doing doing their own thing and, and then just dropping it, Um you know, that was the big disappointing part you know the pga tour is a, is a player run organization or, or a supposedly player run organization you know with a with a staff a, a leadership staff that just kind of does the players best interest at heart uh and this is one of those things where basically every single player um was totally blindsided talked to a couple other canadians and you know the text range from this is weird to you know wtf is
2: happening so um yeah uh, uh,
3: blindsided shocked disappointed uh, a lot of the the major emotions for sure from okay. the players right
2: now. So and and uh, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, as you mentioned, is going to speak to the players. He he was I guess in New York City. They were doing. Yeah. what were they on like MSNBC NBC. or yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah earlier today? Uh, and he'll be in Toronto to speak to the players at four o'clock today. I imagine he'll be doing a media availability. Is there a sense like Adam? This Bye. is this is such a, a a massive sports story that it's gone kind of beyond the sports sphere. And I mentioned you know he did a media availability on MSNBC or whatever CNBC earlier today, like are you yeah. getting a sense that like we're going to get some, some, some big media players flying into the city of Toronto to cover this event. And I know it's not exactly what the organizers of the Canadian yeah. open would like. They'd, they'd like the focus to be on the golf itself, but like this yep. all of a sudden is like where everybody is. And if you do want to quote from Rory McElroy on this thing, which everybody does, he's talking tomorrow like are you getting a sense yep. that all of a sudden this is becoming a bigger event and again not for the reasons they anticipated <laughs> but that that tomorrow could be a big day media wise in this city
3: yeah this story has 100% transcended our little bubble it's 100% transcended the sports bubble there's so much kind of geopolitical impact here there's um you know e- economics there's uh world relations like you know this is a pretty pretty massive story when a government entity that has been basically viewed as horrible is now injecting itself into a brand new professional sports league professional sports entity to use that word again like they're creating something new where the chairman of the PIF is going to be the chairman of this new thing and jay monahan is going to be the ceo so it's it's you know it's pretty wild so it's yes if somebody wants to ask Rory McIlroy a question, arguably the biggest global voice uh, for golf, they're going to want to find the next bird into Toronto tonight to be here early in the morning uh, on Wednesday to, to ask him that, that question. So, yeah, Jay's talking uh, today at 5, Jay Monahan's talking at, at 5 uh, to the media, and then, uh, yeah, Rory's talking uh, tomorrow morning. So, you know, to kind of measure this quickly, you know, the CBC, the, na- the national, arguably Canada's biggest news program, is going to run this as their lead item yeah. tonight. And, and the National is a, is a news program. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty massive story that um, has gone way beyond golf.
2: Yeah, and, and you must be busy. That's probably why you didn't respond to my text, which was like not a, it was not a text with a question, but it was just like, hey, crazy day. <laughs> hey, bro, crazy. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, your phone yeah, is man. melting down. You're trying to write, like, five different stories. <laughs> I'm sure you appreciated it.
3: Yeah, yeah it, was, it was exactly what I needed at the, at the moment. But you know what, Ben? <laughs> Here, I'm trying to make it up for you now by providing my eloquent insight here on your your fabulous radio program.
2: Thanks, buddy. Uh, And it won't be the last time I I call on you for that. Uh, Okay, well, back to work, I guess. Thanks, Adam. (laughs) No worries. Thanks, man. Talk to you Uh, soon. All right, there's Adam Stanley, golf writer, covering the Canadian Open. And this Canadian Open update was brought to you by TPC Toronto at Osprey Valley. We have breaking news. Of course, like as soon as we let go of Dan Shulman, the Blue Jays tweeting out some roster moves. Of significant note, this one not so significant, and Dan alluded to this uh, necessity today. Chris Bassett, reinstated from the paternity list. Santiago Espinal, reinstated from 10, die, uh, 10 day IL. Jay Jackson, Ernie Clement, optioned to AAA. Bowden Francis, selected to Major League roster. Alec Manoa, optioned to Florida Complex League. Also Zach Thompson designated for assignment Alec Manoa optioned to Florida complex league. So yes, as Dan said, there's no obvious parallel between Alec Manoa and Roy Halladay and Roy Halladay going all the way down to a ball and working with Mel Queen and, and, and figuring out how to become a hall of famer, eventually becoming a hall of famer. Alec Manoa has far more major league experience than Roy Halladay did at the time, but this is not go work things out in Buffalo, the International League, I have a couple of starts there. This is maybe just a paper transaction to to get him away from baseball entirely, that the eyeballs of even the International League of AAA won't be on Alec Manoa. But that is, from an optics perspective, that's honestly a lot different than Alec Manoa option to the International League, to the Buffalo Bisons, to the Florida Complex League, which, like, just barely started up, I believe. But those, those baseball games are, yeah. I, I, th- I think the term loose would be a way to describe how baseball is played in the Florida Complex League. So it looks like Bowden Francis will uh, start in Alec Manoa's place over the weekend. And what is to become of Alec Manoa, I guess we'll find out a little bit more Coming up, as uh, we hear from the manager John Schneider at four o'clock. But the big news of the day, of the day, again, Alec Manoa optioned to the Florida Complex League. Bowden Francis activated, but on the major league roster, and was uh, scheduled to start for the Buffalo Bisons tonight. All right, when we come back, Panthers uh, maybe always stunk. Certainly have stunk through the first two games of the Stanley Cup Final, getting absolutely destroyed yesterday by the vegas golden knights now down to nothing headed back to sunrise florida uh also sheldon keith still head coach of the toronto maple leafs as of my speaking will that continue into the regular season and will there be an extension forthcoming we'll talk to frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com next as the fan drive time continues i'm ben anna sportsnet 590 the fan
4: the best blue jay show out there period Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Drive time sports at 590 the fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Uh, text lines open 590 590. Again, the news of the day in the world of Toronto sports is that Alec Manoa will, in fact, not make his next major league start. He has been optioned to the Florida Complex League. We are uh, anxiously awaiting John Schneider's first comments on this situation. He's going to talk to the, the print media, he's going to talk to the broadcast media. Uh, from his office at 4 o'clock where there will be no broadcast of what he says, and then he'll come out and do uh, a a broadcast version of that media scrum immediately thereafter. The Blue Jays getting set to play game two of a four-game series against the Houston Astros. Um, this is big. <laughs> it's a big deal. It's not necessarily surprising, not necessarily the move I would have made either. Bowden Francis, by the way, uh, selected the Major League roster, so he's likely, and again, we're waiting to hear definitively, but he is likely to make that start on Saturday that uh, Manoa would have made and was slated to start today in the International League. So, I mean, he just gets extended rest, I suppose, getting set to uh, to make his first start of the season in, in the Major Leagues. I understand yesterday was horrific. There's really no sugarcoating it, and w- was he... Unlucky to a degree, sure. And that bunt could have rolled foul, but then you know, could have watched a two-run home run get pounded over his head. Could a couple of those balls have been caught? Could the Jordan Alvarez hot shot have been snared by Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? 100%. Those things could have happened. It was a hot shot, though. It was hit super hard. Hey, only walked one guy. Honestly, though... The walk might have been the the most telling at-bat or plate appearance of the entire Alec Manoa experience yesterday. Jose Abreu, and boy, that looked like a, a great signing in the moment. Not so great now. Jose Abreu is hitting 214 this season. He, he looks absolutely lost and looked lost, and the first two pitches of that at-bat went down 0-2. All you got to do is throw a strike. All you got to do is finish him off. This guy has been finished off by many a pitcher this season. Couldn't do it. Ends up putting him on base. uh, And then a pitch later, it's in the seats. And Alec Manoa's night is done. So we'll continue to follow that story. We'll probably uh, pick up uh, a Blue Jays reporter after 4 o'clock after we hear from John Schneider. But uh, it does turn out the Panther's strategy of taking all the penalties in the world and hoping you get bailed out by spectacular goaltending. It's hit a bit of a snag. Uh, First two games of the Stanley Cup final as they get destroyed yesterday down two games to none to the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas with four power play goals over the first two games of the series. Sergei Bobrovsky lifted yesterday. Uh, He has an 826 save percentage. Let's talk to Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. How's it going, Frank? Ben, I'm pretty good. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Um, what, What are the Panthers in this series if they're not getting, like, obviously they're, they're they're sunk if they get 826, save percentage goaltending at a Sergei Bobrovsky. But what if they just get, like, average goaltending? Like, how much of the story of their success in getting this far lies on his shoulders?
5: A fair bit, but I, I have to say these first two games, it, it sounds really odd for a goalie that has given up eight goals in 87 minutes of play he's actually kind of like somewhat far down their priority list in terms of things to fix. Like, their play defensively in front of him was porous. They didn't create nearly enough havoc in front of Aiden Hill. They were struggling to break out the puck. Matthew Kachuk is like quite a few degrees off of center, and the whole team seems a bit unhinged. And, oh, by the way, Radko Gudis is out, and so is Etu Luostarinen. I mean, like we've reached it feels like our pets heads are falling off stage. Yeah. But nonetheless, they actually controlled the bulk of game 1. Yeah. Or at least a large portion of it before getting their doors blown off in game 2. It's a really odd first couple games.
2: Yeah, um losing control of their emotions. I mean, but it, the the thing is with the penalties, like I mentioned, this has been an ongoing thing for them throughout the course of of the playoffs. They they've always been shorthanded more than their opponents. Is is there like is the, is this now something that they have to address because they haven't really addressed it up until this point? Have they ran into a team where that is not going to work?
5: Yeah, I I'm with you like need to figure out a way to fix it. I just don't know what the solution is.
2: Yeah. It, I mean, and it does feel like it's in their DNA, right? Like that they're going to they're be constantly scrumming after whistles. And you know what? Honestly, a lot of the, the penalty, especially in game one, like our misconducts, like you look at the penalty minute totals, those are coming when when the game. It was
5: ridiculous. Yeah. What was with that? Yeah. It, it, kind of, it kind of reminded me of like me at bedtime with my kids, like zero tolerance. Well, you get 10 minutes and you get 10 minutes. It's just like, what? <laughs> yeah. It is ma- this the Stanley Cup final or like, what are we doing
2: here? I guess like, at, especially in yesterday's game when it is a blowout and, you know, Matthew Kachuk is want to, um, yeah, mix it up a little bit. But yeah, I guess you're talking specifically about his misconduct for what? Chopping a stick out of somebody's hands.
5: Yeah. I mean, look, I get that it's a blowout, but like that gets laughed at in like, beer league hockey yeah let alone in the stanley Cup, like you're gonna you're gonna take i know the game was out of reach but there was still what 10 minutes left whatever Mm -hmm. the number was you're gonna take the best arguably the best player on the other team off the ice for 10 minutes for that Mm -hmm. i'm sorry like the first 10 minutes that he got in that game was ridiculous as well for the hit on jack eichel which was as clean as could possibly be
2: yeah, uh it, you're 100% right about that and and thank goodness so he Jack So we end up Michael with 20
5: bogus penalty minutes.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh he does. There's just there's no debating that. Um I don't but, know.
5: But to your point Ben, like they were I said Matthew Kachuk a couple degrees off of center. The whole team is a bit unhinged and they're playing a Golden Knights team that isn't phased by it and almost in some ways feels like they're laughing at this.
2: Yeah, which I mean the Leafs tried to do as well to to the to less effect than the Golden Knights are doing, right? Like I distinctly remember Mitch Marner getting punched in the face by uh, yeah, Matthew Kachuk and and not responding. But yeah, it didn't didn't work out so well. But yeah, it it does seem that the Vegas Golden Knights have have taken that same approach and they've been outspoken uh in talking about it. But like uh, honestly, like to hear you talk about game 1 and I'm with you at least through 40 minutes like Panthers were full value for being tied going into the the final period. Are you you're so you're not writing them off uh, after watching the no, first uh, 120 minutes of the series?
5: <laughs> I unfortunately I am uh. Uh, for 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 their sake. Like to think that this Golden Knights team that has really not had very many hiccups and has been arguably the most consistent team in this postseason. To think that you're going to beat them four out of five times. Mm given all of the things that we just listed. So, like, Gudis out, Luzerainen not up to 100% health, both special teams no bueno, Matthew Kachuk off kilter, Sergey Bobrovsky has turned into a pumpkin again. I mean, and by the way, like, cannot complete a breakout with Mark Stahl on the ice to save their life. What, like, what is the path? Like, if you're Paul Maurice and you're trying to, You know, you're going to give them, so you're saying there's a chance and you're looking and you say, oh, look at Carolina. They lost, they got blown out the first two games of their series against, um, or or the Devils got blown out the first two games of their series and and ended up winning against the Rangers. Mm. I mean, I I guess you could point to that. It doesn't feel remotely similar. Um, And I just, I don't, I don't, like, what do you hang your hat on if you're the Panthers? this is one thing we did really good in these first two games. There's not what, you know, it should be what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I'm just not sure that's the case.
2: No, uh I'm with you. And uh yeah, for, for all
5: the husbands and wives can attest for the test of time.
2: <laughs> and for as, as wild as, and as unpredictable as the Stanley cup playoffs can be, I don't think anybody would be shocked if it's the Vegas Golden Knights uh, hoisting the Stanley Cup over their head at the conclusion of these playoffs. It was circuit- uh, a circuitous route, considering what the Panthers did, but yeah, I know that's like on um, merit. The, the The Golden Knights are the better hockey team. All right, um, let's talk Leafs. We've gone too long. We need to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um,
5: oh, I thought you were going to talk about this whopper three team trade. Okay, today.
2: you want to do that? I mean, that is the breaking news, right? Uh, that uh, Provorov is on his way from Philadelphia to uh, Columbus uh, to be head coached by Mike Babcock. Um, Yeah, what's what's your immediate takeaway?
5: It's a really interesting trade. Like Ivan Provorov, this defenseman that was taken one pick ahead of Zach Worenski, who he's now going to team up with in Columbus, um, was thought of. And and by most metrics, their first couple of seasons, Provorov seemed to be a little bit ahead of Worenski, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of where they were trending, and now his you know his game has taken a, a couple steps back as the team around him has not been very good in Philly, and the Flyers essentially trade him for a first and two a late first a twenty second overall and two second round picks in future years, mm-hmm. while also taking on. Cal Peterson's contract from the LA Kings and Sean Walker, who's more or less a contract dump and was a healthy scratch in the playoffs, a first and two seconds alone just to do that type of business with Peterson for two more years at $5 million, if you had said to me that was the deal for just Peterson and Walker, I'd be like, okay. But not getting more for for Proveral like I guess up my jaw is kind of on the floor a bit
2: yeah well this is uh, a first impression being made by Danny Berear also there's this like this this rumor that what Carter Hart could could be on the move like what are you hearing about this Carter Hart thing
5: um so I checked in on that rumor that was going around today um I don't have any indication that uh Carter Hart is on the move um in fact I was repeatedly told no Now, maybe that was just in connection to this one deal. It's possible that they're talking to others about Carter Hart. And in fact, I think part of where the rumor got stirred up was I had mentioned a couple weeks ago on my podcast that the Flyers and Kings at one point last season did have some sort of informal conversation about the idea of moving them Carter Hart, but it never came to fruition. And this time around, I'm told, Obviously not part of the deal, but I, I don't believe he's going anywhere mm. at least right now.
2: All right. So as I mentioned, Ivan uh, Ivan Pro, uh, Provorov on the way to Columbus to be coached by Mike Babcock. I, I wonder how you you feel about Babcock finally getting another chance after almost four years uh, after being ousted by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, is that like a cautionary tale? Like he's back in the league right after uh, after that 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 real long um string of of news stories where it was very negative about mike babcock not just his tenure Uh in toronto but people coming out of the woodwork to talk about his time in detroit and yada 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 is that a Uh a cautionary tale for anybody that takes that job or is this just hey it it, it's fine it worked out and and four years or almost four years isn't that long and, and mike babcock's back in the league did you also ever doubt that he would return to the national hockey league
5: I didn't Um, part of it is I think there's a real motivation for the people who have had their reputations tarnished uh, fairly or unfairly by some of these news stories, whether it was Mike Babcock and the sort of mental warfare that had taken place, or at least alleged um, between him and some players uh, or whether it was Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman for their reported uh, or alleged you know, cover-up or aiding in the cover-up of of sexual assault of Kyle Beach. Um, I think there's a motivating factor from those guys to want to get back in and and get to work again. Mm -hmm. I also think there was a part of Mike Babcock, obviously, as evidenced by the idea that he's waiting to sign his deal in Columbus until after his one with the Leafs expires, was that he wanted to you know, basically earn every red cent from the Leafs possible <laughs>
4: yeah.
5: um, as a precedent-setting contract. Like, this is going to sound funny for me to say, given the news that took place today with the PGA Tour and, and the Live Golf Tour, but Mike Babcock is the Tiger Woods of NHL coaches. Mm-hmm. He has, like, significantly changed the payday of coaches forever in the NHL. Uh, that contract with the Leafs was precedent-setting. And so he wasn't letting them off the hook after four years. Like he wanted to, and in fact, wasn't really chomping at the bit to get back in until this expired, because the point was, why would I, no one's going to be paying me that type of money again, especially after all this happened. Why would I work for the same amount of money that I'm already getting paid? Which I don't know about you, Ben, but I can certainly appreciate. Uh, Um, But there's a lot of work to do to rehab here for everyone involved.
2: Yeah. And you know what? It, it, it and we keep hearing reports out of uh MLSE that, that the fact that they had to pay him out and had to pay every last penny of that contract after being fired almost four years ago has impacted maybe some decision making since and, and maybe not uh, giving Kyle Dubas a contract extension, making him a lame duck GM and eventually uh watching him walk away I and become No, you don't you don't think that I wouldn't he- put a lot of don't no. Look, m l s e
5: Prints money and they're going to get the very best talent that they see fit. And if that means at times making mistakes, then that's what it takes.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. So that brings us to Sheldon Keith. who, I mean, as the, as the days go on, it seems more and more unlikely that there's going to be a coaching change made here. I mean, maybe you disagree. Um, and if there is not a coaching change made, the Maple Leafs are going to make the same mistake or, or put themselves in the same situation with a lame duck head coach.
5: So my prediction, and nothing official, um, but my my prediction would be that Sheldon Keefe stays and that they don't go through the same process again of having him be a lame duck coach. Um, I would think that um, they work on an extension. I don't know how long-term it would be, but at least to avoid the same exact position that they're in. And I think part of the due diligence process that Brad tree living is now undertaking as general manager of the Leafs is everyone is kind of pounding their fist on the table for change, but at what cost? Like how do the Leafs know that the person they have in Sheldon Keefe as coach, isn't already the best of what would be available right now. And his record is obviously in the regular season, quite good. Um so that that's kind of the thought process I think of hey let's let's stick with Sheldon Keith and let's not go through another year of every day this being a topic of conversation of is he going to be back is he not what happens at the end of the year when his contract's up um I don't foresee a lame duck scenario and if he isn't staying then They'll just cut ties. I can't imagine a lame duck year.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mentioned the timing and the, the days go on and we haven't heard news, and I, I just I think that indicates that he's likely staying. We saw Kyle Dubas, who was announced as, as the president uh, of the Pittsburgh Penguins the same day, just uh, minutes uh, uh, from uh, Bradtree Living being introduced mm-hmm. as the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He, like, immediately made some personnel moves there. In Pittsburgh, obviously, he has a different purview as, as president. But, like, am I on to something here that we're we're now into... You know, late Tuesday, the press conference was what, Thursday? That we haven't heard anything now that that is indicative of something?
5: Uh, no. Um, and I mean, aside from announcing a contract extension, what are you going to hold a press conference to say we're keeping the coach?
2: Mm, I guess I mean, not.
5: He, he's still the head coach of the league. Like, what do you, what do you, I love the tinfoil hat. <laughs> you know, thought process, like, and I'm all for it. It's kind of like what I do all day is think of (laughs) what, what's going on in addition to making calls to figure it out. But I just, what would they say? We're holding a press conference to let everyone know, or we're sending out a press release to let everyone know that Sheldon Keefe is staying.
2: No, I think it. I think you're right. I think it's one or the other, either he's fired or he's got an extension. And the fact that he's not been fired means that they're probably working on an extension right now is, is what I would say.
5: Yes, I would, I would, that's how I would
2: view it. Uh, last one before I let you go. Uh, Patrick Waugh's Quebec Rempart win the Memorial Cup. Uh, apparently, mm-hmm. like the Rangers not even interested in interviewing him. Like, do you think he gets another kick of the can in the NHL? He should. Um, one of the big
5: reasons why he was sort of persona non grata the last few years is there was a real sort of stench to the way that he left the Avalanche. Mm. And the way that it unfolded with a close teammate in Joe Sakic in that obviously he had way more powers than a traditional coach he had some GM role and responsibility um but you know you look at it and his trophy case is full like this is a guy that not only as a player has won what he's won but he also has a Jack Adams as NHL coach of the year and now has gone back to junior and climbed to the top of the mountain with Q and and mem cup titles. It's, it's an incredibly impressive run. And it's not someone that he's not someone that sits back and is waiting for the next opportunity to come to him. He he's going out and grabbing it. So I appreciate that. And I also appreciate the competitive fire that he has to see how excited he was with, all the Stanley cups that he's won and the con smites that everything that's in his trophy case to think that this, you know, meant as much to him as it did um, you can't replicate that. Like that's, that's genuine. And to think that we've had seven, I think at least six, maybe seven openings so far yeah, um, in the coaching department, this off season. And there hasn't been more talk about him. It's like actually kind of surprising.
2: God, he would be so electric here, Frank. My goodness. Content factory. It's
5: kind of like Ken Dryden though, being the, the president and GM oh. of the Leafs. Like it just doesn't it feel dirty?
2: I guess. I don't know. Not for me, because yeah, I'm in the content business and and it would provide plenty. So I'd be fine but with stop it. Stop thinking about yourself, Ben. Come on. <laughs> That's all I can do. Uh, Frank, always great. And uh, we'll talk next week. Have a good one. Are right, you too. Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for Daily Face Off. Com. All right. When we come back, we'll get back into this PGA Tour Live Golf thing coming out of nowhere. They're merging. Canadian Opens this week. Jay Monahan's talking to the players in five minutes. Alec Manoa was also sent down to the Florida Complex League. Our pets' heads are falling off. It's all happening. Keep it tuned here for the next hour because we'll get to all of that. Uh, but coming up next, Jason Sobel of the Action Network, Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio, as the Fan Drive Time it continues. Text line continues to be open. Also, 590-590. I'm Ben Anna Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into the
3: biggest stories in Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: CL Toronto. Fan drive time sports net 590 the fan. I'm Ben Ennis. text line is open at 590 590. Lots to get to in the final hour of this program. It's like a jam-packed. News story day in Sports Talk Radio. It's not always this way as we get into June and July, dog days of summer. But today, it's on fire. If you missed it, hard to miss the the Live Golf PGA Tour news because that, like, broke through into the the real news world, not just sports news. But, yeah, they merged, as did the DP World Tour, which used to be the European Tour. So they're, they're coming together and they'll become one tour starting next season. The Canadian Open is this week. And by the way, Oakdale Golf and Country Club is getting set to host the best golfers in the world this week, this year's RBC Canadian Open. We have tickets to give away. To enter, all you have to do is listen for the code word. Then you text the code word to 590-590. Text PGA TOUR to 590-590 right now to enter for your chance to win. Also back this year is the RBC music concert series featuring Grammy Award winners Black Eyed Peas and Alanis Morissette. If you don't win with uh, with us, make sure you secure your tickets by visiting rbccanadianopen.ca. It's going to be an interesting week at Oakdale. It's always a fun week. Canadian Open Week is super fun, and honestly, if you've never seen a professional golf event in person, there's nothing like it in pro sports. The proximity to these pro golfers that you can get is, is it's unparalleled access. It's, it's really unbelievable. And if you are a golfer to see these guys who use the same equipment that you and I use and play the same uh, golf courses and just playing a different sport, it is, it's remarkable. So I, I would advise people to go check it out. This is going to be the hub of the sports world for at least the next couple of days and probably throughout the weekend, but certainly, when PJ Tour Commissioner Jay Monaghan speaks later today in Toronto, he's speaking to his players right now, which they're probably saying, thank you, because all we've received was, like, a memo seconds before the media release went out into the world. They barely got a heads up that this was happening. They got perilously little detail on it. There was a, a, a version of the memo that was shared on the Internet that I read, basically the same stuff that you and I have seen that's been publicly available, and they had no say on it, which is, I think, the biggest the biggest issue here you're going to have with a number of different players, and I'll talk about them. First of all, who won? Obviously, the Live Tour won, despite the fact that the PGA Tour has a c- controlling interest on whatever this thing is. Like, the Live Tour being... Legitimized in such a way and having a seat at this table. Like this is there's just no question that the Live Tour won. Phil Mickelson won, Brooks Kepka won, Greg Norman won. They all won. And honestly, it didn't take all that long. Like we're 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 coming up. This is like the one-year anniversary. And why Adam Stanley earlier talked about the Canadian Open getting usurped year over year over year by these bigger news stories is last year it was the first Live Tour event ever it was being held at the same time as the Canadian Open last year. And and a year later. We're talking about the live tour going away, but only because they bought into the PGA tour. So Phil Mickelson, maybe not the most, um, might not have the highest morals in the world. And you can, you can disagree about his character all you want, but it's hard to argue with him. One, understanding what he was getting into, frankly, like that's the thing about the Alan Shipnuck quote is that, Phil said, I understand how awful these guys are. I don't care. I'm about the money. And what we're about to see in the coming days and weeks and years, I suppose, is everybody else getting in bed with the same people, despite the fact that many of them vocally disagreed with the policies of Saudi Arabia and said they wouldn't go. And many of them turned down hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, I'm thinking of guys like Hideki Matsuyama who turned down reportedly $300 million dollars to join the live tour because of his loyalty to the PGA tour. And then he turns around and his commissioner is selling him out either way. It's, it's a wild, wild story. And again, it's uh, right here in our backyard at Oakdale this week for the RBC Canadian Open. Let's talk to uh, Jason Sobel of the action network, Sirius XM PGA tour radio. What a day, Jason.
6: Yeah, a little bit. You know, just another Tuesday. No big deal.
2: (laughs) So (sighs) uh, I know you just finished your radio program, and we appreciate you taking the time to join mine. Um, In all the scenarios you worked out in your head uh, about a conclusion to this saga, like, had you even contemplated this one being one of the scenarios?
6: No, I will take the L on this one because I've had uh, so many people, whether it's calling into our radio show, whether it's buddies I'm playing golf with, say to me over the past year, how about the PGA tour and live? Well, they just talk and like get together and like figure this thing out. And my answer to that was always, there's nothing to figure out. There are players that play the PGA tour that exists on one side. There are players that have contractual obligations to play the live tour. They're over there. There's nothing to figure out. They're not going to get together. I Apparently I was wrong. I had no idea that uh, they were going to get together and they were going to meet and, Nobody else was going to know about this. I mean, I just had uh, Bryson DeChambeau. I had Brendan Steele on my show over the last two hours who each play on Live Golf. They had no idea about it. I have texted all day with a few different PGA Tour players. They had no idea about it. In fact, uh, one of our uh, guests, uh, Rex Hoggers from Golf Council, he's spoken with senior-level executives on the PGA Tour team in Ponte Vedra Beach who had absolutely no idea this was taking place. And so uh, we are – and we have all been in the dark on this for a while now, but uh, boy, I am as surprised as anybody. I did not see this happening.
2: Okay. So that's the interesting, I mean, it, that executives wouldn't know that the, that the dealings are taking place under their noses is, is quite something, but that the, the PGA tour is supposed to be a player driven organization, right? The players are supposed to have a say, and I'd mentioned Hideki Matsuyama and Rory McElroy taking a stand for the sanctity of the PGA tour. And there's their commissioner, I guess, behind their backs. And again, man, Holy cow! There's some some ugly quotes to look back on now. It was like about a year ago today that Jay Monahan like invoked the the 9/11 victims' families as reason not to join the Live Tour. Uh, like less than a year later, he's he's selling his tour essentially to to Live Golf. But those players, man, and and you've, you 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 talked to a couple on the Live Tour. I imagine the PGA Tour players have got to be incensed. And I mentioned Hideki Matsuyama. I mean, Tiger Woods reportedly turned down what? Like a billion dollars to join the Live Tour, not an active participant daily uh, on the PGA Tour. But wh- what do you expect to hear from some of these PGA Tour players coming up?
6: Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of questions. Are they PGA Tour player-only meeting? Occurring at Oakdale Golf and Country Club, host of the RBC Canadian Open up uh, there in Toronto, as we speak right now. And so I think the players are going to have a ton of questions for the PGA Tour brass that's in attendance. And I think one of these comes down to the point where, look, you guys asked us to be loyal. 18 months ago, when all of this was starting, you told us we need you to practice loyalty towards the PGA Tour. We are where you started. We are the long-term goal, and you should stay with us. We know that you can get really rich and make a whole lot of money going to the other guys, but stay with us long-term. This is going to be a smarter move for you. And now, as it seems, I don't think there's going to be any penalty for those players. And, you know, like I said, talked to a few players who left for live golf, apparently got paid, signing bonuses, playing for a whole lot of money, and now – I assume they'll be able to come back to the PGA tour without any sort of consequence or penalty. And I think the PGA tour players out there are sitting around right now thinking, Hey, like, where is my loyalty being rewarded? How come I am not getting paid for sticking with the PGA tour? Like you told me to do a year and a half ago.
2: No, I mean, if you're a Dekimatsuyama Matsuyama and, and you look at that, 300 million dollars that went through your fingers and then you know uh, uh, out on the T you see uh, Dustin Johnson playing the same event as you and he got that money and you turned it down out of principle I I I don't know how you, <laughs> honestly and I know these guys have so so many millions of dollars that that you know even 100 million dollars doesn't maybe impact their day to day but it's still 100 million dollars Jason like that is uh, there is also this report that there will be at least some you know, uh, some, some eyewash uh, punishment for some of the players who are coming back to the PGA tour from the live golf tour, that there will be some sort of fine and that it won't be a blanket fine. The, the guys that, that were paid more by live tour will be fined more. Maybe, I mean, you have to do something, don't you, to, to placate the, the, the players who got frankly screwed out of this whole deal. I, I don't know. I
6: I, have a, I work for a radio station. You work for a radio station. If your radio station buys mine, uh, do I then have to go pay the fine for uh, being part of another one and leaving it in the first place? I don't know. I, it's, it's such a weird dynamic to me. Quite frankly, I don't think that money's coming out of any players' pockets. I mean, yeah. look, there's, there's a whole lot of money out there. Money, uh, if, if we didn't know this already, by the way, in, in case you've been uh, sitting in your house with your eyes closed and you know, your fingers in your ears, uh, oh, by the way, Money talks, money makes the world go round. Uh, this thing is all about money. And so this is not about like, well, what's the best experience for the fans? I, look, I, I think Jay Monahan is probably getting too much of the blame for a lot of this, especially single-handed blame that, you know, I think it can be spread around a little bit. But uh, Jay coming out today on CNBC and saying, hey, this is for the good of the game and we're trying to grow the game. This is going to get more people involved. Uh, let's, let's cut it with the uh, grow the game BS. This mm. is not about growing the game. This is about lining the pockets of not just the players, but the executives who are around it and putting more money into the game. So, uh, you know, I, I thought that was a little uh, unconvincing there from Jay Monahan. But um, you know, it, it's all about uh, the business right now, the business of golf. And uh, I think the players are starting to understand that. Even the players who are like, Hey, look! I, I showed loyalty. Isn't that worth something? Well, no. I don't know. You know what? Money's worth something. Money—it's <laughs> mo- all about money. Money's yes. worth a whole lot more than loyalty is, and that's what they're telling
2: them. Yeah. All right. Well, well, what do you think would have happened if they just let this thing play out? Because, it, like, it again—it's not that long ago that this thing started, and we haven't really seen where live uh, golf was headed. It didn't really seem like it was. You know, on a necessarily like hugely upward trajectory as far as being in in the consciousness of, of of North American sports media consumers. Where where do you think this would have gone if they had played it out a couple more years?
6: I I honestly thought, and this is what I thought was going to take place, which was the, the PGA Tour keeps conducting their forty seven events a year. Live Golf keeps conducting their fourteen events a year. Everyone gets together four times a year, the best players, the major championships. And I've actually said and believed that uh, the first two majors of this year, I-, I thought the quality of golf and the tension, the the pressure around it all, and just the enormity of the moment, I thought it-, it sort of meant more because, hey, we haven't seen Brooks Koepka. We haven't seen Cameron Smith and Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson. All of a sudden, now we have the best of the best playing against each other. And uh, that's essentially what I thought golf was going to be for the next three, four, five years, however long it was going to be until something changed. But uh, apparently that's changing a lot quicker than, uh, than then. And, and we're going to get, um, you know, whether it's Brooks Kepka playing PGA tour events or Rory McIlroy playing live events or everybody playing all events, which are sanctioned by all tours. I, I don't know the answer to that. And quite frankly, I think that, you know, we live in this society right now of social media, of need it now, of give me an answer. I want to know all the details. I don't think they know a whole lot of the details yet. I, I think this was all put together. There's a merger. There's a partnership. Hey, what about this? What about that? I just don't think they have a lot of the answers yet.
2: Do you, do you think some of those rivalries that, yeah, started to percolate uh, and, and we only saw those players at the, at the majors, do you think any of those feelings are permanently hurt? Like th- Any of those rivalries will persist now that ev- even though we see those guys on a more regular basis?
6: It's going to be very, very interesting. Look, I know that, oh, let's say Rory McElroy, who uh, I believe serg- served as a groomsman in Sergio Garcia's uh, wedding ceremony a few years ago, uh, is no longer on speaking terms with Sergio. And uh, is that going to persist, even though they're essentially playing the same tour moving forward and they're partners? I have no idea. And again, my guess is if we had Rory and Sergio on the line with us right now, and we asked each of them independently that question, they wouldn't have the answer to it either. So again, I I hate to keep repeating myself here, but there's just way more questions than answers moving forward.
2: And maybe you don't have an answer to this one, and and like the the <laughs> the press release didn't indicate exact. I mean, there was a mention of the team golf like being integrated into the next PGA Tour mm-hmm. calendar. Like, what do you think the twenty twenty three twenty four season looks like what what does the 2024 pga tour season look like do you think will just be some events that'll be team um what about these designated events like what 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 do you like this is not a lot of time to turn this around as well like what are you anticipating as, as like just a casual golf viewer how will this change your viewing experience next season do you think
6: so it's funny, uh, I don't mean to name drop here, but I was speaking with Bob Harrig of sportsillustrated.com fame and uh, we had him on our show today as well. And uh, we were talking about this a couple of hours after the news broke out. Uh, I said, you know, so I guess they're all gonna be playing the same tour moving forward and they're all kind of working together. And Bob's like, Oh, I I see it as live golf is still a thing and live plays the live tour and the PGA tour is still a thing and They play PGA Tour events, but you can kind of cross over. And so if a player wants to go play, live one week and PGA Tour the next week, that would be a possibility. You're looking at two guys who have covered the PGA Tour for two decades, and we're trying to read into this, and we each have completely different reads on it. So, again, I'd love to give you an answer on this, but I don't know if they know the answer. My my guess is in the player meeting right now, uh, whether it's Jay Monahan or another tour executive, they're being asked what the schedule will look like next year. And they're like, well, uh, we're going to work on that over coming months and, and we'll let you know. I, I just don't know that there are answers
2: yet. All right. Last one for you, Jason. I know this is not in your purview, but I'm going to ask you anyways. Like, do, do you think that this coming together of the Live Golf Tour and the PGA Tour indicates a, a creeping of Saudi money into North American sports, that this was the case study and that, you know, like the European soccer leagues, uh, like Formula One, that we will see more Saudi money now funneled towards North American pro sports?
6: Uh, Again, I mean, above my pay grade, but (laughs) I have asked this question for the last year and a half. What if Saudi Arabia comes in, the public investment fund, and wants to buy the Kansas City Chiefs and take over Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey? Like, all of a sudden, it it could and probably will happen. There's enough money there, certainly, and if they want that to happen, they can make that happen. I I have no idea. Again, I I feel (laughs) bad saying... I have no idea so much on all of these questions, but I really have no idea. But uh, I can certainly see that. That is, that is the way things are progressing right now. And I think with every move towards it, with the uh, public investment fund starting a partnership with the PGA Tour, I think that it makes it more mainstream and makes it easier for, uh, for the likes of an NFL or a Major League Baseball or NBA, NHL, to say, hey, you know what? Yeah. if they're going to do it okay i guess it's okay it's, I, I look at i work in the betting space these days you know that i try to yep. give people advice on on which picks to make every week and you know five years ago when even here in the u.s when uh the passport law went through the supreme court all of a sudden it's like trickling down okay now the states can make it legal still a little taboo and you couldn't really talk about it and then all of a sudden you can talk about it a little bit more and then a little bit more now it's like you know, there are odds on the screen. Whenever you turn on TV, you might be watching the game and they're talking about what the spread was and there's no longer tiptoeing around it. I, I see it sort of in the same vein that all of a sudden, you know, went like, Ooh, those are the Saudis. We can't deal with them. But, well, you know, maybe we do a little bit. We kind of like, you know, dip a toe into a few years from now. It's like, Oh yeah, we've got, you know, uh, <laughs> they're not, they're no longer the Kansas city chiefs. They're the Riyadh chiefs because, uh, that's who's sponsoring the team. I I don't know. Again, I I'm exaggerating a little bit, but uh, I can certainly see it moving in that direction.
2: Yeah. Wow. Our our outrage sure did have a shelf life, eh? Uh, it, it is seemingly <laughs> over. Uh, <laughs> all right, Jason. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much for this. Yeah. Thanks, Jason Sobel, SiriusXM PGA Tour Radio golf writer with the Action Network. All right. So much happening. The, everything. We'll go back down to Rogers Center uh, before the show is over as well. Get an update from uh, the Blue Jays as far as Alec Manoa's being optioned to the Florida Complex League as well. But also today, a report out of the Toronto Star that a couple of uh, notable head coaching candidates for the Toronto Raptors no longer in the running. And uh, we're getting down to crunch time, at least if the Raptors are intent on hiring a head coach before the NBA draft. Just over two weeks to go before that. Let's talk to Doug Smith. Uh, the author of uh, the aforementioned story out of the Toronto Star. How's it going, Doug?
7: Not bad, Ben.
2: How are you? I'm all right. So yeah, Steve Nash, uh, Kings associate coach Jordy Fernandez, they're out apparently, or at least not invited back for for second interviews, as you point out in the story. That that doesn't necessarily mean that they're done because they haven't they haven't indicated a time frame. Um, but those two names in particular, especially is specifically Fernandez, who I think, according to most bettings, sites before your story, was the second favorite to be the next head coach of the Raptors. Do, do the, Does that surprise you that those two might be out of the running?
7: Yeah, it, it really did, Ben, because you know, they're two legitimate candidates. Again, they could revisit them, I guess, in the next two, two weeks, week and a half. I don't think they will, but uh, I'm a little surprised that each of them didn't get... Uh, have not yet gotten a second chat because they're both accomplished and both have things that would work in their favor. And it makes me wonder which direction the Raptors might go.
2: Yeah, it, 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 of course that's where the, the mind goes. I want to stick on those two candidates just for a second, specifically Steve Nash, because it was surprising to me to find out that this guy was so intent in getting back into the role after it ended, uh, I would say unceremoniously uh, in Brooklyn after you know, his marquee player asked for him to be fired. He wasn't fired and then was eventually fired. And then those marquee players uh, were both shipped out of town that, that, that didn't sour him on, on the idea of being a head coach. Do you think he gets
7: another chance somewhere? I think so. I think Brooklyn was such a cesspool that anybody in the NBA would realize there were extraneous circumstances that worked against Steve. And yeah, you know what? Kevin Durant did say he wanted to get him fired. He wanted to get Sean Marsh fired. But maybe Kevin Durant was sticking up the be boys with Kyrie Irving. And that was just an untenable situation from the start. Mm-hmm. I remember texting Nash the day he got the job saying, either congratulations or condolences. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, condolences were probably the best because it was unworkable. It was a bad mix of people. It was a bad mix of ownership. And I think basketball people know that maybe Steve Nash is a coach. And I think he's very competitive, and I think he's he would like to redeem himself. I mm-hmm. think he knows what people think of him now, and I think he wants a chance to prove himself. Yeah,
2: and I, I think it's unfair, but I think most people have painted him with the brush of being like a, a vibes guy, right? Like somebody, if you did, you know, he had a, a cancerous locker room, that he would be a guy that could change that, that he could put smiles back on the faces of some of these Raptors players, uh, not necessarily X's and O's, and that's probably... Unfair, but it does speak to, like, what, what do you think this Raptors team is looking for in their next head coach? Like, what is the number one priority? Is it the vibes thing? Like, is it a tactician? Is it having previous experience? What, what do you think it is?
7: I think, Ben, I think it's more... I think it's absolutely a vibes thing. I think the, the tactical end of it, it's the same. Every team runs the same stuff. Every team tries to maximize its players and its, the, the skill set of the players. It's a guy who can bring an attitude... Um, the Raptors want, The Raptors were no fun. They weren't fun to be around. They weren't fun to watch. I'm not entirely sure everybody liked each other, but I think they want someone that can kind of galvanize an organization. And they didn't have that last year. They had it in 2018-19 for sure. They had it in 2019-2020 19, 20, 19, 20, 19, 20, 20, 20, until the pandemic hit. They didn't have it in the Tampa tank year. But they had it in the in the, the 48 win year. They lost it last year. Mm. So I think they want someone that can sort of re-energize the franchise. No one had any, like I said, no one had any fun last year on the team. Mm. And I think they want to bring back some sort of good attitude.
2: All right. Well, Sergio Scariolo uh, certainly knows what what this organization is all about. Former assistant here, currently coaching in italy and and apparently not part of the secondary wave of of uh interviews yet because he's still participating oh, no, yeah, i'm not
7: sure about that i think sergio's got the, the italian league finals because coached yeah. versus bologna they, they start friday but he could have talked to them again last week okay the, the, okay. the not coming this week doesn't really mean anything because they they conducted other interviews last week
2: is he in your mind the clear favorite now
7: Again, as I wrote today, I, I'm not sure they know exactly what the roster is going to be. Hmm. On a veteran team that's got a chance to do something, he would be my clear favorite. But if they want to be in that middle ground or if they're going to rebuild, then maybe he's not. Sergio sure is a great, great coach. Now, he's coached Spain to like, two silver medals in the Olympics, a uh, 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 World, uh, World Cup championship. British Bologna was in a EuroLeague finals a year ago. He's he's really accomplished but i'm not sure he's built for a four year plan hmm. you you would so think so it depends again which way bobby and Mazai want to go yeah and you
2: would think that that would be a little more clear here as i mentioned we're just over 2 weeks away from the nba draft and i mean i think there's a large section of raptors fans that are salivating about the potential uh, acquiring of the the blazers number 3 pick overall does this need to be done before the draft? Like, if you're still waiting on on roster considerations, are you waiting until you do or do not consummate some massive trade involving a draft pick? Like, what what is what is the actual time frame here? And is it the draft? Like, do you have until the draft to make this happen?
7: You have until the draft. I mean, you want you want they want a new coach in place. I think before the draft. But again, I think they have their own philosophical discussions about where the team's going to go and I'm t- I'm sure they're having back-channel discussions today with Portland, Charlotte, their own free agents, their own free agents agents. How who's going to be back, who wants to be back, who what, what it's going to cost and again that that's a discussion they have had ongoing and it's a, it's a very difficult one because this team has never rebuilt. It's never gone back gone never gone to zero. And to do that is a very very difficult thing to to do mm. because it takes two or three years or four years to tear it down and three or four or five years to build it back up. Mm. I'm not sure anybody in the Raptors organization has a stomach for a seven-year plan. So they got to find out what they can do to tweak or, or change or add or augment what they have, and then you find the coach that fits it. But I do think and I said the day that they that, 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 that let Nick go that The draft was the time. They would like to have a coach in place by the draft. So, you know, it's 20 days away, three weeks away. So, I think there's time. There's no no rush. They're going to get a coach. Mm. It's not like they're going to offer a guy a job who's got something else going on. This is the only job in the NBA that's open. Yep. There are 30 jobs like it on earth. Someone's going to take it.
2: Yep, yep, yep. There's no question about that. Um, So, yeah, the clock is ticking. Doug, uh, really enjoyed the piece today. Thanks for doing this.
7: No problem, man. Take care
2: of yourself. Yeah, you too. Doug Smith of the Toronto Star. That would be, to me, slightly concerning if the Raptors were still discussing, debating which direction they were going to take the roster, whether they were thinking about a full-scale <laughs> teardown after they traded a first-round pick away to go acquire Yaka Pertl to the trade deadline. That would be quite a pivot. Um... Even if there's, like, some discussion about trading, you know, some trade involving Pascal Siakam for futures and maybe, like, a perceived step back, but something that might put you in a better situation a couple years down the line, that that wouldn't be hashed out, that you wouldn't already have that in your back pocket and be presenting that to these potential next head coaching candidates. Yeah, that would be also surprising if they didn't know which, which way they were headed in that direction. Also a bummer, man, Steve Nash... Not going to be the next head coach of the Toronto Raptors. After talking to Frank Isola a couple of weeks ago, I kind of sold myself on the idea that he could be a strong fit here. And what better place to rehab your image, just like Mike Babcock doing in Columbus? How about Steve Nash returning to his uh, native land and coaching the Toronto Raptors? I I suppose it still could happen, but yeah, by all reports, and uh, Doug specifically, his reporting, Steve Nash not going to be given a second interview to be the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. Alec Manoa will not be given an opportunity to make his next start in the major leagues of baseball. You're just tuning in right now. He's been optioned all the way down to the Florida complex league. John Schneider just did his media availability down at Rogers center ahead of game two of this four game series between the blue Jays and Houston Astros we will head down to Rogers center. Talk to Ben Nicholson Smith next, get the skinny on that. And what the fallout could be. As the fan drive time continues, I'm Ben Anna, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
3: More Leafs, more Raptors, more Blue Jays. The Fan Morning Show with Alish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: drive time sportsnet 590 the fan i am ben ennis in case you missed it today blue jays with a rather newsworthy uh roster move today a bunch of them in fact well chris bassett reinstated from the paternity list he will be active for tonight's game okay there's only a three-day maximum on the paternity list so it's not that he has to start today but he has to be reactivated Santiago Espinal reinstated from the 10 day IL. That's good because Matt Chapman had like a toenail removed, which is gross. Matt Chapman, day to day, he will not be in the lineup today. Santiago Espinal will be playing third base. Bowden Francis selected to the Major League roster, active for tonight's game. Alec Manoa optioned to the uh, Florida Complex League. Also, Jay Jackson optioned to AAA. Thanks for your effort yesterday, and it was a spectator. He was the MVP, the Blue Jays in yesterday's game. But uh, yeah, you could see that one coming. G- getting into uh, his third inning of work and all the pitches he threw. Optioned again to AAA. Ernie Clement, hardly knew ya. Optioned to AAA as well. Let's talk to Ben Nicholson Smith of the At the Letters Podcast, Sportsnet, Sportsnet.ca, at the ballpark. An eventful day, Ben.
1: Uh, it's definitely an eventful day. I am. Uh just in the tunnels here uh, near the Astros indoor batting cage. So if you hear any unsettlingly loud cracks, that is the reason why.
2: All right. It's not your bones breaking simultaneously. All right. Oh God, very very good. So John Schneider's done his media availability. What, what was the takeaway?
1: Well, you know, we know the news of the day, of course, which is that Alec Manoa is going to be sent down, not to A, but all the way to the Blue Jays Florida Complex League. And I think the the main question at that point became, okay, for Alec Manoa, what's going to happen here? And the plan for the Blue Jays is they're going to basically do some intake work with him, similar to the kind of work they might do at the very beginning of a season um, where they get a sense of his strength, his flexibility, his range of motion, velocity, all these types of things that they can now measure with a lot of ease. So that's step one, to get a sense of where he's at physically and then um, he's likely to pitch in the Florida Complex League against some of the least experienced hitters in professional baseball and start the long build-up. Or We'll see. It could be a short build-up, but start the build-up back from there.
2: Yeah, okay. So there's a lot of questions that lead from that. Well, let's start with this one. Like, how... I mean w- was this always on the table or was last was yesterday's start so bad that it had to be put on the table because they ha- they haven't all been like that's the worst one no get, no doubt it's hard to get worse than only getting one out and we've seen a, a couple of starts where it, it looked like things were getting a little better and the slider and the the couple of previous starts were it was get it was garnering better results and he had a start against the Orioles a couple ago that was good. And even the one that he only went for, I mean, he only gave up two runs. I mean, the walks were high. But, like, how, how long had they been sitting on, on this decision, do you think?
1: Uh, I think the decision was made uh, after last night's game. Um, I don't think that anything had been decided before yesterday's game. And if he had gone out and pitched, you know, six innings with eight strikeouts against the Astros and, you know, walked one and, and you know, limited the damage to a run or two, I don't think we'd be having this discussion at all. I think he'd be here preparing for his next start against the twins on Saturday. I I think that once he pitched as poorly as he did, then you look at that in the context of his season as a whole, which now 13 starts in the numbers are bad. The um, advanced numbers are bad and the uh, body language, the frustration, it's all there and That's not to say that that's permanent, right? Like, we've all followed baseball long enough to see good players, um, you know, recover from bad stretches, and the Blue Jays are working to make sure that that's what ends up happening here with Alec Manoa, but um, he's a long way from that right now. So he has a lot of work to do, uh, starting in Florida.
2: Yeah. Uh, You know, I I wonder how unprecedented this case is, particularly. Like, having so much Major League track record, right, those first two seasons, last year, his first full year in the Major Leagues, but called up in May, right, in his first year after a very limited minor league track record, no fault of his own, but because of the pandemic. But uh, having success right out of the gates and getting better in his second year and, and having so many Major League innings, having so many Major League starts to to start off as poorly as he did. Like, I, I know people are pointing to, like, the the Ricky Romero, like, there was injury stuff there, right? Like, there were there were mitigating factors with a bunch of these other case studies, even Aaron Sanchez with you know, the blister stuff. And like, is there a comparable you can think of for a guy that's had that much early success for that prolonged period of time to go through what Alec Manoa has gone through the, the early stages of this season?
1: There's no satisfying comparable. I mean, definitely, you know, with, with the Blue Jays lens on it, you think of Ricky Romero, you think of Roy Halliday, Aaron Sanchez is another good one, but each one of those cases is so different. And Um, I think the Manoa case is is ultimately really different. And and part of that is, you know, this is not just a physical thing. We've seen the toll it's taken on Manoa mentally. He's been pretty upfront about that. John Schneider's really commended him for being as vulnerable as he has been um, with his public comments and acknowledging that this has been a tough time, that he feels he has let his teammates down um, and he wants to, to do better for this team that still has some really big aspirations here. So. You know, I think for all those reasons, um, each uh, problem is different. And the solution then to each uh, of these situations is also different, which means the Blue Jays have to be pretty flexible as they move ahead
2: here. All right. So what are they going to do? Because you mentioned like the, the mental side of this, and maybe it's just entirely mental. And just like a breather, will will do him a world of difference. Is there something specifically, though, that they are going to have him work on? Like, have they, I, have they properly identified the problem? Do, do they know what, what is going on here? Because, yeah, miles per hour are slightly down. The walks were way, way up. He only walked one yesterday, uh, but also only got one out. So it was on pace for, uh, yeah, uh, 27 walks uh, per nine innings yesterday, which is not ideal. But, yeah, is there one thing that they're going to point at and say this is the thing you need to work on, this is the thing we're going to have you do when you go down and finally pitch in the Florida Complex League? Well,
1: if there is one thing, it's throwing strikes consistently, early in counts, getting ahead. That's what he's been missing because, yeah, the stuff is down, and that's never, ever good if you're a starting pitcher facing the best hitters in the world. Um, But if you are challenging them in the zone, you know, effectively in the right places of the strike zone at the right times, um, we saw Manoa as recently as last year pitch at 91-92, and have really good results toward the end of the year. His stuff wasn't explosive. It wasn't sitting 95. And so some of that um, is, is possible, but uh, you know, I don't think the Blue Jays have uh, identified a single answer. I mean, yeah, we can say command, but a lot of things go into that, right? Mm-hmm. It's a delivery that you're repeating uh, 90 to a hundred times. Um, it's the command of multiple pitches. It's the command in um, very high pressure situations. So, Um, part of the reason they're going to put him through the the ringer in this pitching lab that they've built is to identify or mechanically what are some of the things that might be leading to uh, him not having very good command.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like he he was an option down to triple a, right? Like he's not going to go down and and make some, Lower leverage starts against international league opponents. He's going all the way down, I, and, and the purpose of that is what? So that they don't have to immediately throw him into games. I mean, would they have had to do that if they if they put him with Buffalo? What what is the purpose outside of yeah being in Dunedin? And I and I I guess the facilities there was that the the, the number one impetus to sending him all the way down.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it is the facilities. If the facility. You know, in a in an alternate universe, the facility existed in Buffalo. That really would have boosted the chances that he would be in Buffalo. But I I think it's not a bad thing to have him face some uh, less advanced competition here. And you know, the reality of the Florida Complex League is these hitters are pretty far removed from the major leagues. And so I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Alec Manoa is going to go out there and dominate. But if he does, that would be a great first step. And if he doesn't then it tells you there's still stuff to work on so you know it's it's all part of it's all part of a a process here and we don't know how long it's going to take to play out but you know in the meantime the other thing is the Blue Jays don't really have a clear answer for what they're going to do with Manoa out of this rotation
2: yeah well that's what I wanted to get to next so Bowden Francis uh called up and and he was slated to start I guess today in Buffalo um well not obviously because he's a, a major leaguer but uh, from what i was reading about John Schneider's media availability he said that he's not necessarily going to get the start on Saturday um what do you, what is what is the what is the immediate uh future of this rotation look like
1: i mean to me you know this is reading between the lines right but to me it's a bullpen game on yeah. Saturday and Bowdoin Francis is part of it and Trevor Richards is part of it and Anybody else could be depending on what the score is and how the game unfolds. So you know, and, and unfortunately, that's kind of what Manoa's starts were becoming anyway. I mean, yeah. when you get eight and two thirds innings from your bullpen like they had to yesterday, that's what it is. And so you know, now they do that and start the game zero zero. They're not down five six runs. Um, you know, it's it's a chance for them to compete. And Bowden Francis is probably a part of that. But Bowden Francis could also pitch tonight if the Blue Jays are up six runs or seven runs tonight he could come in and, and get his feet wet and pitch, you know, an inning or two um, and still be available on Saturday when the opening exists. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're going to look outside the organization as well as they have to, but, you know, it doesn't sound like or look like when I, when I look around, when I ask around, not getting the sense that there's a ton out there right now as far as available major league caliber starting pitching, just sitting there for people to pluck. So uh, I think we're going to see a bullpen game.
2: Ben, this is Saturday will be the first time that the Blue Jays will have a rotation spot that is up in the air and that they've will that they've already dipped into their pitching depth for. This is a, a rotation that was expected to be top-heavy in in Manoa and Kevin Gossman, but had plenty of question marks in it, right, considering the season that Jose Barrios had last year, considering the season that Yusei Kikuchi had last year. Now, both of those guys have bounced back, Um Borrell certainly more than Kikuchi, but he has the longer track record than Kikuchi. Kikuchi's been fine. But the fact that we're only now looking at the Blue Jays' starting depth, and this was an issue that we all could have anticipated not just one starter, but two, and the injuries happened, three and four, and many other teams around baseball have had to go that deep into their their pitching depth, that we're into pitch depth pitcher number one, and there's no obvious candidate and I mean, Francis has been good, I guess, in, in limited action in Triple and I guess had a, a bit of an injury to, to start the season. But I mean, does it not speak to how poorly the, the the additions that this team hoped to make as far as starting pitching depth have actually performed? And like that, this is a, a question mark considering the starting pitching health that they've had this season. Kind of mind boggling because we call we all could have anticipated the Blue Jays needing to go into this 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 core of depth pitchers at this point in the season.
1: For sure. For sure. I think all that's fair. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really part of the job of a front office to build out uh, really good contingency plans everywhere on the roster and especially starting pitching. You know that you're going to run into starting pitching issues. And the Blue Jays have been fortunate, slash we'll give them some credit to their training staff and keeping guys healthy uh, to this point in the season where they've only used the five starting pitchers. But like you say, I mean, the best teams in baseball have the best starting depth, the yeah. Dodgers and the Rays and the guardians and the Astros who lose Justin Burlander and boom, here's Hunter Brown. Like that's what you do. If you are one of the best teams in baseball and the blue Jays aspire to be there. And in some ways they are there, but, uh, this is the separator and you know, what's going to be really interesting is okay. Like maybe they can get by with bullpen games and, and a couple off days here for the month of June. Like it's actually not that dire, um, if you just need a few bullpen games and and otherwise, you know, you're you're kind of in a pretty good situation here unless one of your big four yeah. gets injured, right? And that's not <laughs> off the table. You no. don't just suddenly get a guarantee that they're not just going to stay healthy. So, you know, it's it is an ongoing question.
2: Yeah, no, you do with Jose Barrios cuz he's never been hurt, but like yeah, everybody else. Like that that's no, that happens. That's not that's like I expect it to happen before the end of the season and that like yeah. number one depth guy uh there's just no obvious answer here is not ideal so that brings us to like outside of the organization I guess Chris Archer is a name that the pitched last year in the major leagues that's out there that's floating around like are there any other names being bandied about have uh, the Blue Jays reached out I mean trades not necessarily consummated at this time of the season w- what are the options outside of the organization
1: you know I, I have looked around I have not found one that's Satisfying enough that I would want to share it, you know. Like it's just I'm not seeing anything. I I I don't see anything. Like yeah, you could look at guys, excuse me, who are you know essentially not. Dallas keichel is just not pitching. He's a free agent technically, but then how long does it take for those guys to get ramped up? And even when they are, are they going to be better than Trevor Richards and a guy who's been pretty decent at AAA? Like probably not. So you just kind of roll with your internal options at that point. Now. You know, I, I look at Julio Chiron, who was here a couple of weeks ago with the Brewers. Would have been nice. He was good. Like, that's the kind, that is the that is the genre of player that you are looking for. Um, now, can you find one? I, I don't know. They should be looking pretty hard.
2: Um, not that this guy would be in, in consideration for Saturday or even a major league roster spot right now, but Ricky Tiedemann, like, is there any update on, on his return to action in the minor leagues going down with an injury in double A?
1: Well, he hasn't pitched since the beginning of May, um, so definitely not an option now. Um, And, you know, at this point, he was said to be doing better, um, you know, but he hasn't pitched in games. So if he was doing a lot better, he'd be in games. Um, You know, I'm afraid that's really all I've got on Tiedemann, but um, that's a disappointing start to his season, to say the least, considering that you know, in a best-case scenario universe, he might have been the guy to get the call at this point.
2: Dude, yeah, there's a non-zero chance that he, you know, lit the world on fire continually in AA, maybe made a start at AAA in the ad. Like, this is, I mean, it's past the time frame when Alec Manoa was first called up, right? Like, that was the end of May. Now, we could have absolutely been looking at that, but uh, no fault of his own, uh, injured and and not a consideration. Wild, wild times. Uh, They got a baseball game to play tonight against the Houston Astros. Ben, thanks for this. You got it. Thanks, Ben. All right, there's Ben Nicholson-Smith, his bones intact uh, because he was outside the Astros' batting cage getting set to watch game two of four, Blue Jays and uh, the Houston Astros. So I can't get over this. I really can't. Like, it's very difficult. There's lots of things that you can't foresee, right? Like, and there's performance stuff that you can't foresee. Although, like, the Blue Jays haven't really had much of that either, right? Like, it's not like... There's an individual offensive player. You're like, well, that guy is stunk. And we saw that one out of nowhere. Catching hasn't been great, I guess, offensively. Although, man, the, the offensive bar with catchers is so low. I, I know the power hasn't been there all season long for Alejandro Kirk, but the on-base is. And now he hit the home run yesterday. It's starting to come a little bit. It's hard to be too disappointed with what you've got out of the catching position. Okay, you were the best hitting catching team in all of baseball last season. So that's been a disappointment. Vlad hasn't hit a home run at home. Like, that's the number one where you're like, man, you, how would you anticipate that? Couldn't have anticipated that. Not that there's another move, right? Like, you just, it's Vlad. You write his name in the lineup, and you hope that he Vlads it up at some point. This one, we could have anticipated. Not with Alec Manoa. But that the Blue Jays would need another starter. Who who didn't think they needed another starter? Like, who thought that they were going to go through 162 games with the five starters that were on the roster to begin the season. No, not likely Alec Manoa turning into a pumpkin. Shocking, truly. Although, like, that, it also must be said that there were plenty calling for a regression for him, not to this extreme, and I wouldn't say that's exactly what's happening. They thought, like, some of the batted balls would turn into base hits, not the walks would balloon by a factor of a billion. But people would, uh, like, if Yusei Kikuchi, who was very much like Alec Manoa's start to this season, like unplayably bad to start last year with the walks, just like just such a drain on your bullpen. If that had continued into this season, one, that wouldn't have been surprising. And two, the leash would have been much shorter having seen him for a full season of baseball last year. Of course, you're dipping into your depth starters at that point. If Jose Barrios had been... Off to a similarly bad start despite the fact that he had a long contract. Like, could you have made up some sort of Phantom IL stint for him and required a starter? Could somebody have gotten injured outside of Jose Barrios, who, knock on wood, has never been injured in his entire career? Of course, of course, of course. Their depth starting pitching additions, and then nobody has like some ace in AAA. I understand that. was Drew Hutchison, Casey Lawrence. I get it. Had a nice little minor league uh, year a season ago. Like they're, they're, You could have anticipated requiring another starter at the major league level at this point in the regular season and they have no viable option. And okay, maybe they didn't go out and acquire enough of those quad A type pitchers. Honestly, I think the derision should more lie in their inability to develop pitchers. Guys with like high upside guys who actually have a future, not guys that are just trying to hold on to major league jobs, not guys that have opt-outs because they're, again, like Drew Hutchison trying to climb back into the major leagues and have no hope of having, you know, an upper-level major league career. That's what you can blame the front office for at this point in the season. You can also blame them for Mitch White being a nothing. I, I guess you can't blame them for the injury, but you can blame them for... The injury combined with the, like, lack of performance combined with the Nick Frasso looking amazing in A for the Los Angeles Dodgers. There's a lot that you can't blame the front office for, like runners in scoring position, BABIP stuff. That, hey, Blue Jays offense is going to look better. But this, like that you have no viable backup plan, you're a starter. You know how many teams would kill to have only used six starters this season? Lots. <laughs> And, and the Blue Jays are only using their uh, first six starter on Saturday. All right. Coming up next, Blair and Barker getting you set for uh, game two of four between the Blue Jays and the reigning World Series champions. No Alec Manoa. He's been sent down to the Florida Complex League. Enjoy Blair and Barker. I'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Drive Time. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.